Breaking news. The election has been called. With a landslide victory, Piers Stefan Pugh Morgan is now president of the world. Having run solely on the promise of waging war on wokeism, President Morgan has already signed executive orders ensuring that all women are to find him attractive and not liken his voice to the sound of one million vaginas drying up like the desert. He has also banned all pronouns from noon tomorrow, saying that he will decide everyone's gender identity and that 30% of the population will now be forced to identify as two-spirit penguins. Plans are also in place to extradite anyone he dislikes to Antarctica. Early plans include Madonna and Ewan McGregor. President Morgan concluded his first official statement by declaring that Snowflakes are ruining the world! Welcome to the second episode of Snowflakes are ruining the world. Um, a massive, massive thank you to everybody who listened. I think we predicted three, but we've fully ended up in double figures so far. Um, shout out to Maria for being our first listener. I think she must have she must have gone straight in there as soon as I posted it. And and a big, big thank you to everybody that's messaged, because honestly, I think that has meant quite a lot to both of us because we are both anxious messes. And anything that we put out there creative wise comes with all of the questions of, oh, my God, are people going to hate it? Are people going to hate us? Are they going to set my house on fire? So it has been really, really nice to listen to everybody's positive comments and positive messages. If you have listened to it, please do get in touch because it's lovely to hear from you. Let us know what you like and what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future as well. That would be great. I'd love some audience interaction and certainly we'd love some people joining us in future. There's probably an open invite to anybody to come along and talk about whatever they want. Yeah, it, it was really nice because... Obviously, I said to you that I wasn't going to listen to the podcast after we'd done them because I don't want to tear myself apart. Um, and it was nice to know that people were enjoying it because it, it made me realise that a lot of the things that I tell myself in my head aren't actually true and anxiety does have a lot to answer for. Um, so hopefully this one will be really interesting for people because I'm guessing most people have experienced it at some point. So I'm looking forward to this one because I'm an expert on anxiety. I've been practising all my life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Spoilers. See, I'm being, I'm being the productive one today. I'm like, lead it in, lead it in. I went too quick. I got excited. That was a beautiful lead in, but I've, I've left space for tangents first. Oh, no. I thought we were this... avoiding the tangents. I'm trying to be good and not go off on a tangent today. There is no way that we're not going to go off on a tangent. So being the productive person I am, I thought the best thing to do was to like schedule us some tangents. <laughs> That's not going to yeah. work. We have already gone off on a tangent before I've scheduled time for tangents. Yes, yeah. We've done a tangent about tangents. <laughs> also, huge, 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 huge thank you to my lovely friend Joe for designing us a beautiful, beautiful logo. Oh, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I'm not saying the fisting thing. I'm not saying the fisting thing. You told me not to say it. Don't look at me like that. I didn't tell you not to say it. I'm all for the fisting thing. Yes, we were saying how it, it, it encompasses both our our enthusiasm in social justice and fisting all in one. And there's lots of colour as well. I love it, yeah. And it was so nice because I know those things take a lot of time as well. And just to come out with that idea 
out of thin air was fantastic because I would have taken forever to come up with that. So, yes, thank you. And, yeah, I was going off on some, like, chaos squirrel-induced rampage about, like, cartoons, wasn't I? We'll see how we go with this first. I think we're getting the hang of it, though. I do think we're on a roll now. And hopefully we'll be able to get a load out and, yeah. Get a load out? Get a load out. (laughs) I did that this morning. (laughs) (laughs) But enough about my bowel movements. Back to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, the second episode and... Pamela, how are you today? Should I mention the liquid lava or? <laughs> I assumed that you would. Well, I feel like in, you know, I'd planned to prepare for this podcast, hadn't I? And obviously I had a really busy night last night. And then I realised I've prepared in the best way possible because I've set up my conditions to have the biggest panic attack possible today. I've had no sleep. I've had my medication, which has sent me off on one, and I'm feeling anxiety to the extreme now. So today's the day to definitely talk about it. But yes, how are you today? You're very positive and chipper today, which is nice because there's there's a balance now. You're sort of bringing me up. Dragging you up. (laughs) (laughs) By my hair. (laughs) Just like, I like it. Well, no, I'm I'm really, really good. It is my cat's third birthday today. So I started the morning by... By singing happy birthday to Balakat. Oh, that's adorable. Does Balakat have a tiny birthday hat? Because I'll be disappointed if not. No, but he has a birthday card and he has presents that he will that he will receive later when his other mummy gets home from work as well. Oh, I miss my cat. I mean I like my child, but my my cat was (laughs) my cat was definitely easier. My cat is my child. I like that though. I like that because I think um because you do feel like the part of the family as well. Our cat was definitely part of our family. Psychotic, so definitely fitting with our family as well. But of course, with the morning you've had, you want to do an entire podcast on your bowel movements. I could... <laughs> I was about to say I could fill an entire podcast with my bowel movements, and then I thought of just how much I filled the toilet this morning. It was awful, awful. Yeah, it wasn't good. The thing is, I, I've i got IBS. Mm. I've got a couple of close friends who are very without boundaries when it comes to talking about their bowel movements. And also, I quite worryingly discovered recently that my type seems to be, and I mean, my type for dating, seems to be like pretty boys with stomach issues because my current boyfriend is lactose intolerant my previous boyfriend had Crohn's disease, and I think like the one before that had IBS. So I, I have a definitive type. And something in common, which is nice, you know. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've had it for years, and I know people who have it a lot worse than me, where they're literally doubling over in pain with it. I mean, I've, I've been there, and it's just one of the many, many symptoms that come along with being anxious. You're obviously, not always triggered by anxiety, but I mean, they say, don't you, that the stomach is like the second brain, you know? I very much, because I developed IBS later on, I developed IBS kind of within probably the last four years or so, I think mine is linked to anxiety. It's just the world's shittest response to danger, though, isn't it? Like, but how, how, how is lava coming from your asshole ever going to help you against a bear? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And someone said to me, um, I, think, I think it's so that you, you drop some weight, you know, so you can run faster. <laughs> I'm sorry, but 
If you're on the toilet doubled up with IBS, are you running anywhere? You're not going anywhere. You are going fucking nowhere. You're going to get eaten by a bear while you're shooting yourself. So two things. Number one, I think it's more that a bear tries to attack you and you shit yourself. And so the bear goes, ooh. <laughs> Don't want to eat that. Don't want to eat that. <laughs> not for me, pal. And then the second thing is you've just brought a whole new context to the game The Floor is Lava. Oh, God. Amelia loves that game. So we're, we're essentially like, you know, those poisonous frogs that have all the colours, except we just have diarrhoea. Yes. The bear will not want to eat you if you're just there shitting yourself. Uh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I remember being in the car with someone um, and literally telling him about a time I shit myself in a drive through um, and immediately he tried to kiss me after that. So I don't think it deters men quite as well as it deters bears. So keep that in mind, ladies. It's it's not a deterrent. I honestly don't think much deters like a predatory man. Anyway, that was... I left space for a tangent. I didn't think the tangent would it's be about food. It's a shit tangent. <laughs> it, was, it was a really shit tangent. Yes, the shit nado. So today... We are going to be talking about anxiety. This is a topic we were always going to talk about sooner or later because Pamela and I are both anxious messes. But it was a good one, I think, to do early on. I do want to kind of qualify it by saying that we are not qualified at all. We're going to be talking about stuff that we've researched on the internet, stuff we've learned as we've gone along. And we're also going to be, you know, drawing on a hell of a lot of childhood trauma. We came from the school of hard knocks. That's the best way, I think, to describe it. It's, um, you can have, it's interesting to have all of the, the psychology, but unless you've lived it, it's very difficult to understand it. That's it. We're going to be talking from a place of experience rather than actual training. So for entertainment purposes only. Yeah, I mean, I am struggling to kind of see how we make anxiety sexy no not sexy funny my anxiety is literally the central point of any conversation i have it is hilarious yeah if you don't laugh about it then you are just gonna uh, shit your pants basically that's that's it i'm a firm believer that the more we talk about these things the better but i also get really oddly anxious about talking about anxiety because i kind of just feel like if I talk about it enough, people are going to be like, oh, shut up, Gareth. We know you're anxious. Jesus, you're not You're not even anxious. Just get the fuck over it. Oh, my God, you're being ridiculous. So I think with me, I've grown up with people who deal with their anxiety in different ways. My dad deals with his with humour. For me, it does make it better sometimes to to laugh about my anxiety and to see it as a, you know, like that episode of Buffy, Fear Itself. It's like that kind of thing. You know, if you can look at fear and you'd be like, oh, who's a cute little fear demon? I think it makes it easier because sometimes it's so overwhelming. You feel like you're drowning and you don't know why. I do a similar thing. I, I tend to rush to make the joke that I'm thinking people are going to criticise me for in my head anyway. And then in turn, see, I do this as well. You become your own bully. Nobody, nobody bullies me like I bully myself. I think the thing is, though, some people don't get it still. And partly that's also because they've never experienced it and well lucky them but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what anxiety actually is. So I hear a lot now that oh all we talk about now is mental health and anxiety and stress and everyone's got anxiety now and that kind of thing 
I thought my first panic attack came when I was, must be about 20, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought my boyfriend was choking me. I genuinely thought, I didn't know why, obviously pissed him off, but I thought he's choking me. But then when I look back, I had my first panic attack that I can remember when I was about Amelia's age, about seven. And it was a sensory thing with the autism. It was uh, curly fries. They gave me curly fries instead of chips and I didn't want to eat them. And I, I just kept running to the toilet because I felt sick and I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I find it really helpful now when Amelia has a panic attack that I can sit down and say, right, you're having a panic attack right now. This is what you do. And a lot of people may not understand it because they might have experienced it and just thought, oh, this is normal. Everyone experiences this. Yeah. So one of the things I've done, as last time, I've done some Googling. So I've been on the NHS website. So anxiety is a feeling of unease, such as worry or fear that can be mild or severe. That rhymes. Well done, NHS, for the poetry. Everyone has feelings of anxiety at some point in their life. For example, you may feel worried or anxious about sitting an exam or having a medical test or job interview. But some people find it hard to control their worries. Their feelings of anxiety are more constant and can often affect their daily lives. So I think the best way to describe what an anxiety disorder is is to focus on those bits there. This feels like I might be being a little bit patronising, or rather, my anxiety is telling me I might come across a bit patronising here. But for anybody who's not experienced it, it is that worry, that worry that you experience before a job interview or before sitting an exam. If you take that and almost give that steroids so that that doesn't go away once you've had that job interview, you almost don't get that relief that you feel after the job interview. Sometimes you are worried for weeks or months on end. Sometimes you're worried about a specific thing that doesn't go away. And sometimes you don't even know what the fuck you're actually worried about. Yeah, so obviously with the ADHD, my brain works with anxiety. And the sad thing is about a lot of kids like that, especially overachieving kids, is they learn to use stress as a way to be productive. And that becomes our go-to. So I've got to the point now where, and I couldn't explain it a couple of years ago, but I could be sitting in my room with nothing to do, no expectations on me, and either feel this feeling of dread, like something really bad was going to happen, or a really bad feeling of guilt, like I wasn't good enough. And there was nothing that, and that those were the worst ones, because I can deal with anxiety about something in particular, because I know that that thing will pass and everything will be fine. But when your nervous system is so used to stress being the base level, it gets to the point where almost like it flips the other way around and your physical state affects your mental state. You start walking around like you're anxious. You start avoiding social situations. And that's when it can lead into things like depression. And that's when it gets really bad. So it's my advice to anyone, as soon as you feel anxious, as soon as you feel depressed, talk to someone. Even if it's just to say, I'm feeling a little depressed. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just letting you know because then you've crossed that barrier because you instantly want to shut down and hide away. Completely second that because that is also sometimes the very last thing that you want to do when you're feeling that way because as well, you have that worry that you're going to talk to somebody and they're going to think you're stupid. Even if you can't articulate why, sometimes just saying that you feel that way can be really, really helpful. The second thing is that I really, really relate to the anxiety that you described there, where 
people will think I'm super productive because I work with almost a constant to-do list. But that is because if I sit around and don't do anything for a day, I do have that feeling of guilt. I think that's been so, so much worse since the pandemic and since I started working from home. But also because I've got various creative projects on the go and things that I enjoy doing, I still feel guilty if I'm sat at home and not doing something. Yeah, and see another thing to watch as well is triggers for anxiety because, for instance, today I said to you I'm probably going to be very anxious today because I hadn't had much sleep. My anxiety is worse on a night because obviously I've got the squirrel brain racing around and if I'm not sort of focusing on my to-do list for tomorrow and panicking about that, I'm worrying about something that happened 10 years ago. So what I've started doing with that is I've got a notebook by my bed, sit up, write it down. I've wrote it down so if it's important, I can deal with it in the morning and then I can sleep. I don't know if that's helpful for anyone, but it really helps me. When I first started realising what anxiety was, I started writing and I just started writing something that was for me. Essentially, and this sounds so self-involved, but I started writing almost a biography I wanted to look at things and make sense of them, knowing that I had anxiety and start to make sense of actually where that anxiety came from, because it comes from years of fucking trauma. Yeah. And I don't think it's I don't think it's self-involved. I think it's it's self-exploration because I did the same thing when I had Amelia. I I realised I had to seriously figure out my mental health because I now had a child and I didn't want her to grow up with the same you know seeing the same things that I saw and feeling the same things that I felt and it was difficult but I think I mean I do that things like I'll write letters to myself I'll write a letter to myself saying you know you're amazing this is what this friend says about yeah I'll, I'll put them on post-its on my wall because my and if you walked in my room you'd think what a self-absorbed person this is but really it's quite the opposite if I don't maintain that then I fall into anxiety And then the intrusive thoughts take over. And that's when I'm in trouble. (laughs) One of the things I found was a quote on the Mind website from somebody with anxiety. And it's it's not attributed to anyone, but it really spoke to me. So I'm just going to read it out. For me, anxiety feels as if everyone in the world is waiting for me to trip up so that they can laugh at me. It makes me feel nervous or unsure whether the next steps I take are the best way forward. And it's awful. But again, if you have people that you can reach out to and talk to, if you don't feel like you can do that, write it down, because at least then hold that voice accountable in your head that's telling you all these things. And you can look at it and go, is this really true? It's not true. Spoiler, it's not true. None of it's true. It's all bullshit. So don't listen to the little bitch in your head. One of the best things that you ever told me when we first started talking about this was to give your anxiety a name, which, again, makes you sound like a crazy person but it is really, really powerful for helping you shut that voice down. I feel like I should, I I can't remember the name of the book because it did come from, I I don't know if it was The Four Tendencies because I don't want to take credit for someone else's idea. That's what she suggested to do. And that did work for a while. But then I read another book that was saying what you should do is you should sort of, it's a bit like meditation and you sort of sit with yourself. And when you get that sort of anxious part of your personality coming through, You sit with it and you think, right, this is here for a reason. It's obviously formed over time to protect me as a child or whenever I've faced trauma or or stress in life. And it's not a bad thing that's here to sort of get me. I just have to calm it down and be like, look, I get that you're worried, but you can't speak to me like that. You know, it's having boundaries with yourself. And I know it sounds insane, but how many of us do that, though? How many of us walk around 
and literally berate ourselves for 10, 15 minutes at a time and never sit down and write these things down. And it occurred to me when I was doing my teaching assistant course, I was talking to one of the teachers and as soon as she left the room, the first thought that popped into my head was, she hates you. She couldn't wait to stop talking to you. Why the hell do you even bother to talk to people? And I thought, you know what? From now on, I'm going to write these things down. And I couldn't believe the things I would say to myself. I wouldn't say that to my worst enemy. But that's what anxiety is. It's that fear response. It's not logical thinking. None of it is logical. I think for me, I treat myself now like I treat Amelia. Just compassion. I think that's really good advice. I want to add in as well, I really felt some of that because there's been so many instances where I've walked away from something thinking, oh, that person hates me, that person hates me. I can think of a really, really specific example with my old boss. Now, her and I formed such an amazing relationship. I've not worked with her for about two years, but she honestly changed my life in terms of the confidence and the development she gave me. And she was such or she is rather such an incredibly supportive person. And also we ended up getting drunk many, many, many times on the expense account. But our first few meetings, I walked away thinking, my God, Kirsty hates me. She absolutely hates me. She must think I'm such an idiot. She must be so sad that she's been saddled with such a moron. And actually, she fucking loved me. I was her favourite. And I do that a lot. So, um, I mean, I've I've recently been hanging out with like one of my closest friends now. And for a long time, she would come around and do my hair. And I didn't think she'd ever see me as a friend. Like, she'd come around and be like, oh, my God, Seth's so cool. She's never going to want to be my friend. You know, like, as if I was still in secondary school. Like, oh, she's, ne- she's never going to want to be friends with me. And just some of the things that Steph said about me that I didn't even recognise in myself as, as a strength you know because I put myself down and I compare myself to people so much to the point where I remember when my boss first started the first thing I said to him just obviously because I've got the impulsive problem as well walked up, up to him and I said um I'm Pamela I'm the lazy one I'm terrible at magic and it just came out my mouth and I thought that is the opposite that is the opposite I literally am so anxious that I, I can't stop half the time you know and I worked hard and I just thought why why would you say that but I think you put yourself, it's exactly what you said earlier, you put yourself down before someone else can do it. It's the same reason why I struggle, for instance, this podcast, to start something, because it's easier for me to give up before I go, because then I'm, I haven't failed at anything. Shouldn't, I know we shouldn't, <laughs> she, she, she who should not be mentioned, but it is, a, it is a fairly good bit of advice, and I think you know where I'm going with it. Go on. I hope you know where I'm going with it because my brain just fucking totally forgot what I was talking about and just went off like over here. What did I say? You were talking about she who must not be named, which yeah. in the context of our conversations could be about five different people. What did I but say? I, I yeah. think you're talking about a goddamn turf. So I don't know the quote exactly, but it's it's basically saying that, you know, you, you're worried to try in case you fail, but if you don't try, you fail by default. And there's another quote that goes perfectly with that. And it's the the fear of stagnation and living an empty life and dying with the music still inside of you should be more frightening than anything you have to do to succeed and to be happy in life. And I think that's that's what you've got to hang on to because everything might seem so big, but surely it's not worth sitting in this anxious 
basically in a cave. That's essentially what we're doing, aren't we? We're retiring to our cave and, and trying to stay away from anything that might pose a danger to us. Insightful. Thank you. Was it? I, I, like I was rambling. <laughs> no, I like that. One of the things you were talking about earlier was kind of the fear response. And I think it's important to note that everybody can have some level of anxiety. And again, anxiety is something that everybody can experience. We are talking about an anxiety disorder where almost that becomes so much that it does impact. And that comes from the base level fight, flight or freeze response that we all have. It's something that's kind of evolved. It's evolved to protect us from danger. And it essentially means that when our body feels under threat, it reacts by releasing adrenaline or cortisol or by shitting itself. And anxiety disorder comes from that fight, flight or freeze response getting a little bit out of control. And that fight, flight or freeze response not really knowing when to switch off because it starts perceiving many, many other things as danger. And it's also important to note that not everyone's going to present in the same way with anxiety. It's important to know whether or not yours is fight, flight, freeze or fawn. So mine is freeze and fawn. It used to be flight. And one thing I noticed that when I had Amelia, I struggled a lot with anger issues because I wasn't getting any sleep. Obviously, I had undiagnosed ADHD at the time, but I no longer had the option of flight. I could no longer go out and just get hammered and go out, you know, go out with my friends and, and do what I needed to do to deal with it. I had to deal with it in a more productive way. And that was really difficult. And I do still struggle a lot with the, the freeze and the fawn. I mean, the other day I went to a wedding and um, it was at a castle. It was absolutely beautiful. And I'd ordered a drink. I thought, you know what? I have never medication today. I'll have an alcoholic beverage. Um, and he poured it and he poured the wrong drink. And because I, I didn't want to upset him, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get him in trouble. I was like, oh, it's all right. I'll get that one, another one. <laughs> and then he says, oh, that's, that's like 22 quid, please. And I thought, I've literally just bought two drinks and that's just cost me over 20 quid. And I walked away with the drinks. I walked away fuming and I was really anxious and I could feel myself panicking. But I couldn't build up the courage to say to him, actually, no, this isn't what I ordered. And it's just little things like that that I've learned throughout my life that are embedded in, in, in my brain and everyone's got different responses. Some people do tend to get angry if they can't if they can't use another response. And especially for new parents, like don't feel like there's something wrong with you if you feel that sort of anger, that frustration. Speak to someone, absolutely speak to someone because there's supports out there. But don't feel like you're doing anything wrong in that situation by feeling angry because you don't have the option. You know, they'll say, oh we'll go outside for five minutes. You can't leave a newborn baby. You know, so just you have to deal with it in your own way, but it's important to know how your brain works, what your triggers are and where that's come from. So definitely get introspective. What were the drinks? So what it was is um, Amaretto and Coke taste like Dr. Pepper, doesn't it? And it's lovely. But Amaretto and lemonade taste like marzipan. I fucking hate marzipan. And you put lemonade in it. So I was just like, but I didn't want to get him in trouble. And I get my mum was saying what? And it, it made it worse because my mum was like, no, go back and complain. And she was stressing me out because I was thinking, I can't. Like, she was like, I'll go. And I was like, this situation is getting worse now. I just want to go outside and lick my wounds. <laughs> Obviously, then my anxiety about my finances kicked in. It's like all these little things that trigger you. And in the moment, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking, you know, I don't want this fucking drink. I would probably be the same. So I'm much worse when it comes to drinks. So I will drink a vodka and Diet Coke, a double if anyone's offering to buy. But quite often that 
leads then to me ending up with a vodka and coke, which probably my instinct says to just accept and shut up. However, I learned from an event where they only had coke that coke, because of the sugar in it, reacts quite badly with my IBS. And so I'm then stuck in the loop of, do I want to be polite and have stomach pain for the rest of the night? Or do I want to be, to come across like some kind of diva who just demands to have diet coke? And it's so ironic that even in that state of like pain and frustration, we're still worrying about upsetting other people. But you have to look after yourself. One of the things that actually works quite well for me is almost tricking myself. One of my friends who just kind of doesn't understand my anxious thoughts, and I think that's because he's either not had it or dealt with his shit quite early on in life, always says to me, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen? And it's like, well, okay, having anxiety means I always have 25 answers to what's the worst that can happen. But one of the ways that I've learned to deal with it and it's probably not the healthiest way, but is also to trick myself into coming up with a worse scenario. So when you were talking about the what's worse, kind of letting, you know, letting yourself wither on the vine, I guess, um, the, the, the feeling of having not done that thing, that's something I often will rely quite heavily on. One of the examples is I was going on holiday by myself one time and I was really, really fucking nervous about doing it. And I remember being at the airport and everything in my brain telling me to not check in, to not drop my bag off and to just get back on the coach and go home. But then I counteracted that by forcing myself into getting on the plane by telling myself that actually, what would people think of me if I didn't go how much of a laughing stock would I be if I just wasted that? It wasn't the, actually, I want to go on holiday and have a good time. It was the, what will people think of you if you don't do that? And although, as I said, not probably the healthiest response, that's something that's probably helped me in a few different scenarios. So even with the podcast, when you're talking about, like, sometimes it's easier to just quit, sometimes it's easier to just quit. Well, for me, I've told people we're doing a podcast. And we've already posted one episode now, so we're too far into this because what will people think if we just post one episode? What you're saying there, you know, like obviously, you know, I know it's not the healthiest thing to do. So one thing I do, because my brain likes to overanalyze, is I use that to my advantage. So um, when I was pregnant with Amelia, you get like a folder for your pregnancy to go into labour, you have to take it to the hospital. I had a separate folder with like letters to myself, encouragement, all this stuff. It helped me build the anxiety, sort of deal with the anxiety building before I had her. And what I do as well is I write down, the, like you say, the worst case scenario. So there's a book here. It's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. And it's one of the best books I've ever read on anxiety. And one of the things he says to do is to say you're worrying about something, write down the best case scenario and then write down the worst case scenario. Look at that worst case scenario, picture it, can I survive it? You know, like, e even if it's something like worst case scenario, I'm going to die. You know, it's like, right, well, can you accept it? And I know, no, and I, know, I know that sounds awful, but there are people dealing with that situation where that is the worst case scenario and other people are just, you know, like me and you, 
getting to that point where we're imagining that. So what I do is I write down my fear and then I put it in a Word document so that after the things happen, if it goes well, I turn it green. And if it goes wrong, I turn it red and then I write down what I did. And I must have done about 20 of them in this Word document before I gave up because literally 19 out of 20, the worst case scenario didn't happen. In fact, it turned out really, really well. And I'd wasted all that time worrying. And then the last one that did, you know, go badly, I dealt with it. And I was really proud of myself because I'd had like a, an absolute breakdown and a panic attack. And I'd sat in the library and I thought, no, I'm going to go back and I'm going to deal with this situation. So I think it's good to monitor these things sometimes. If that's how your brain works, use it to your advantage. It's really important as well to say, because I think we touched on it earlier when we were talking about IBS. Anxiety disorder can very much have both psychological and physical symptoms. So like we said, that can lead to IBS, for example. Certainly stomach problems are very, very closely linked to anxiety. Same as things like shortness of breath. I know when I had a panic attack, it was a real kind of struggle to breathe. And certainly sometimes you can feel it kind of sat, the worry sat heavy in your chest. So I actually wanted to talk through some stats. I do think it's important to say- This is the, the sexy math part. Of the sexy math, math part, yes. I think that's why I find statistics so powerful because I'm not normally a sexy mathematician. And so I think just it's really, really easy to like blind me with numbers. The stats I want to talk through are, so 5% of the UK population suffer from anxiety which probably doesn't sound like much, but when you think about how, yeah, Pamela's shaking her head at me on camera and pointing upwards, I don't think she's saying something about the ceiling. I think she's saying that should be higher. And I agree. I think that's probably just 5% of the UK population realise that they suffer from anxiety. Um, in America, 6.8 million adults in America suffer from it, but only 43% are receiving treatment. And again, that's probably 6.8 million who realise they are suffer from, suffering from anxiety. And then less than half of those people actually getting treatment for it. So one in four people in England experience a mental health problem every year. That's not broken down into anxiety. That, that will be any mental health problem. So that could be depression. That could be a whole host of other things because... Mental health problems are a nice pick and mix. There is definitely something in there for everyone. Interestingly, women are twice as likely as men to suffer from anxiety. But I think there's more to it than that, because actually I do think that any minority group is probably going to be disproportionately impacted by mental health problems. And I think there's something without going off too in too much of a tangent there is definitely something about kind of representations in society i think there's a whole host of different reasons behind that but i know that mental health problems are also more prevalent in the queer community and stats in 2014 showed that mental health problems were increasing so it would be really really interesting to know how that is now that we've had yield pandemic because I bet that that will have exacerbated a lot of people's mental health problems. I know certainly I had my first ever panic attack in January of 2021, um, which was when we were in a lockdown in the UK. I say my first ever panic attack. The first thing that I recognised as a panic attack, and I certainly didn't recognise it as a panic attack until afterwards. 
Yeah, so I was taught with someone at the start of the pandemic, he'd, he'd never had anxiety before. Um, and he used to say to me, like, what do we do when, when we hit a wall, Pamela? We smash through it. And he said he'd, he'd lived his life like that. And then one day he just couldn't smash through the wall anymore. And he didn't know what was going on. And he completely lost it because he'd never experienced it before. Whereas when we went into the pandemic, I noticed that everyone, everyone with ADHD, everyone with anxiety at first did really well because A, we're good in panic situations, but B, a lot of us like that introverted kind of like, you know, having time to ourselves. It was more like our pace because we weren't having to constantly deal with the anxiety of the outside world. However, we did have to deal with the anxiety of the pandemic. I mean, I got so bad that I was literally washing my shopping. I was getting up before anyone else so that no one would laugh at me. And I was in the sink washing things from the supermarkets because I didn't want to catch COVID. And then inevitably, um, I I thought I was going to get long COVID. I thought I was going to be a terrible parent because I'm already struggling as it is with energy and I wouldn't be able to play with my daughter. I mean, my friend got long COVID and she still to this day now years later is suffering with it so it's it's a valid this is the thing it's a valid fear and the problem is when you've got valid fears but then you've also got the media stirring it up i'm i'm predicting a lot of mental health problems from that as well and also from the lack of the lack of community the lack of seeing people is really difficult i'm an introvert and i struggled absolutely and i think sometimes similar to what we were saying earlier about talking to people i had it with someone last week where they were having a really really bad week and they were dealing with that by going in on themselves because Was actually it <laughs> because it's always me it was not you, no. Oh, for once. But that was that was the last thing that they needed because actually they were feeling really, really isolated and having a bit of a shit week overall with a few various things. And they were responding to that by thinking, oh, well, it helps if I have a bit of time to myself. It's historically helped if I have a bit of time to myself. And so then what was happening is they were shutting themselves off more and more and more and I was desperately trying to like get that person to to speak to me or to go out with somebody and go see someone. And actually, when they finally did, it massively helped. But quite often, you will think in that moment, that's the last thing I want to do and almost lean into the thing that's making it worse because you think it's going to make it better. And sometimes, no matter how much of a natural introvert you are, you just need some fucking people around you. Yeah, so there's a, another, we're going to have to have a book list because there's another book I'm reading called, I think it's called Why Do I Do That? And it's talking about how you learn these different traits as you're growing up. Um, and it's really difficult to change them because obviously trauma and when you're a child, you're a sponge, you're learning from your environment. And if your environment isn't a healthy one, then you're going to have to try and unlearn that as an adult, especially if, I mean, at the minute, obviously me being a parent, I'm trying to unlearn all that and learn the skills that are appropriate to then teach my daughter in real time because she's seven now and I'm trying to sort of leap ahead in my own progress so I can help her the issue with that is with anxiety and depression and things like that you have to take it step by step and it's difficult it's not always easy to face some of your fears and I mean for instance I'm terrified of driving I used to drive to red car I I was fine with going that far and now I struggle to get to Stockton which is literally five ten minutes away I really struggle with anything like that and I know that the only thing that's stopping me is my fear but I don't know how to get over that other than to go out driving, which I don't want to do because that's the scary thing. So it's like you're trying to shut off that part of your brain that's trying to protect you by sort of saying, oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. 
but you are that brain as well you know like it, you're not two separate things you you know it's all one thing isn't it and you're trying to be positive but that negative bias is always there and it's there as an evolutionary thing but i feel like it's made worse by our situations growing up and by society what are you talking about pamela you and i had such a healthy upbringing <laughs> to be fair now that i'm a parent I see the struggle because it's really difficult to deal with your mental health, deal with everything else around you, you know, try to do all the things you're supposed to do and raise a child. I totally get that. We have resources now that our parents didn't have. Every generation has its pros and its cons. And I think our pros are that we're very open to talk about these things. Our cons being that there's literally nothing left for us (laughs) but destruction and poverty. So it's a bit hard to be cheery when the world's fucking burning. (laughs) <laughs> can I get an can I can I get an abolish everything? Abolish everything, burn it to the fucking ground. It's quite funny as well because when you were talking about that and kind of the way to get over your anxiety around driving, we had a bit of a a little joke back and forth for a while, didn't we? Because it was like, oh, you 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 feeling scared about doing it? Have you tried just doing it? And this is it, isn't it? Because I was I was thinking about this last night because I did do some preparation in my own little way. Um, and I was thinking about sort of anxiety and how all the things I know that are going to be good for me, like getting a good night's sleep, eating the right diet, going out for a walk, all of these things that I know are going to help are not things that I'm going to do in an anxious or a depressed state. And that's the problem. It's trying to get yourself just on just on one ledge higher, just so that you can get yourself out enough to see the rest of the steps. I think with anxiety, it feels like drowning. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're drowning, but there's no water. You, you feel yourself suffocating, but you don't know why. And you're just panicking and you don't know what to do. And it's really hard to sort of center yourself and come out of that. But writing it down helps because then at least it's out of your brain. And you can look at it and go, that's bullshit. Why did, that, why did I think that was going to happen? That's never going to happen. One of the other things I've pulled up is when is anxiety a mental health problem? And this comes from mind.org.uk, which is a wonderful, wonderful charity. If you do need some more resources or to learn more about anxiety, check out that website. Anxiety can become a mental health problem if it impacts your ability to live your life as fully as you want to. For example, it may become a problem if your feelings of anxiety are very strong or last a long time. Your fears or worries are out of proportion to the situation. You avoid situations that might cause you to feel anxious. Your worries feel distressing or are hard to control. You regularly experience symptoms of anxiety, which could include panic attacks. You find it hard to go about your everyday life or do things you enjoy. There is something here as well that I wanted to share. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to talk about the way that anxiety can manifest itself as a problem and I wanted to use an example and she's totally fine for me to share this but one of my close friends who has a lot of anxiety related to her health and I wanted to see if this would maybe try and bring it to life for people. She's firstly said that she absolutely wants this to be shared because quite often people will just think it's paranoia rather than anxiety and so like we said earlier She wants stuff like this to be talked about more and more. So it was, I'm just going to read out a few things that she sent me. I think people just don't realise how bad it gets. Like, yeah, okay, jokes about me thinking I have cancer and how I always think I'm dying. But the flip side is worrying for days or weeks over a twinge in a muscle. 
I'd wash my hands every hour to the point they'd be cracked and bleeding. And then I'd cry thinking I had a skin disease or I or that I'd get an infection. Then being so scared of bad news that I'd completely avoid the doctor. It is just so isolating. I know as well for so many other people than you, Pamela, driving is a big one. For me, it's very, very much linked to creativity. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, anything creative I do, I'm constantly in my own head going, this is shit, this is shit. Everybody's going to hate this. Everybody's going to hate you. This is nowhere near as good as the other things that are out there. And so for so, so long, I've held myself back because I've spent so much time criticising myself and overthinking situations. As well, one of the other ways that mine comes out, as I hinted at earlier, is relationships. So I'm constantly in my own head about my relationships, about my friendships, and thinking essentially that just everybody fucking hates me. Nobody's really going to stick around. And one of the things that an anxious brain, I think, does is looking for patterns and actually looking for patterns that reinforce that negative narrative. So I absolutely have had people, as we all have in my life, that have not stuck around. I've had best friends stop talking to me over kind of things that we could have worked out, over things that we could have talked through. I've had parental relationship issues we will say um, something about maybe my biological mother saying that she wished she had an abortion. Um, (laughs) I've had a boyfriend who, well, okay, I had a relationship where I told him I loved him and so he stopped talking to me. So all of those things, all of those negative experiences reinforce the belief that nobody's going to stick around and sooner or later everybody is going to get sick of me. I don't draw on the fact that I've been friends with you since college when, you know, that's so many years ago that everything was in fucking black and white. I've got somebody that I was friends with since school who messaged me to say that she'd listened to the podcast. I've got, you know, various people in my life who have stuck around for years and years and years, but the anxious voice in my brain constantly focuses on the ones who didn't. I just want to go back and say thank you to your friend for sharing that because I was unsure as to whether or not to share mine but I do feel like it's important to talk about so I have the health anxiety more around Amelia now I did end up going for an endoscopy not long ago because I genuinely thought I had like just all sorts hernias and also it was just heartburn but obviously because with anxiety comes that increased sort of awareness of your body as well you you know you're a jittery mess aren't you you feel everything intensely it is difficult so going back to mind um and what you were saying about how you know when it's gotten bad for people who are sort of veterans in the anxiety thing we get so used to it that our baseline changes and for me I didn't notice the panic attacks I didn't notice the irritable bowels because it was all normal that was you know as it was and what you were saying about the patterns so Amelia was going to get some teeth out a couple of years ago and I was saying to my mom, I was in the kitchen, I was talking to my mum and I said, you know, the hospital hasn't rang yet with that appointment. And literally two seconds later, the phone rang and it was the hospital with her appointment. So we, we sorted all that out. I went into the garage to grab a cigarette. And as soon as I looked at my phone, the first thing that came up was about a little girl, same age as Amelia, who died getting the teeth out under anaesthetic. And obviously, for me, it's difficult because we do see patterns in things. We do tend to fix it. And those intrusive thoughts can become bad. And it got to the point where I was like, 
I'd convinced myself she was going to die. And I was taking pictures of, because um, I knew it was ridiculous to cancel the appointment. So I couldn't even, you know, go and say to my mum, oh, she's not, she's not going to go and have a teeth out because she might die. Because I knew it was, I knew it was ridiculous. But I was like taking pictures of a, a, a footprints when she was coming out the shower, you know, a little, a little footprints on the floor. And I remember one morning, it was about two o'clock in the morning, I was sitting on the toilet and I was planning my suicide. I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't depressed. I loved, I love every single day that I wake up with Amelia. But I'd convinced myself that she was going to die and there was there was no life for me after that. And I knew then there was something wrong. I knew then it had gotten too far. And I rang mine. And the first thing you say to you is, you know, I, are you suicidal? And I, I said, I don't know how to explain this because I'm not suicidal. I'm not depressed. But I have just convinced myself that this is going to happen. And I'm, I'm going to go jump off a cliff. And, and, and he just, <laughs> you know, he's on the other end of the phone. He's like, right, we'll, we'll bump you up the waiting list then. You know, like you can hear the concern in the voice. But. It, you do feel like an idiot. You feel like this This is not a logical thought pattern. But the more you talk to people who have intrusive thoughts, and it's the it's the bullshit trifecta is anxiety, OCD, where you're like, like you know, washing your hands regularly because you don't want to get infections and things like that. And intrus- intrusive thoughts, they're the worst ones because you just, they just come out of nowhere, don't they? And they're awful. I love you so much. And I love doing this podcast with you. Part of the reason that, we wanted to do the podcast together is that we think we bounced off each other really, really well. And I hope that's coming across. But it's so weird that you've just started talking about that because literally the next thing in my notes that you absolutely didn't know about was around suicidal thoughts. And there they are. <laughs> and there they are, because actually that is a really, really common symptom in exactly the way you've described it. So I was getting some support and it was kind of filling in a thing every week as to how you're feeling. I'd put on that that I was, and this thing was under the supervision of a nurse, so a mental health nurse, I would have kind of online modules to do. It was it was useful but useless at the same time. Anyway, I filled in to say that I was suicidal one week and I had frantic phone calls from her and it, it really made me laugh because I had kind of a frantic voicemail from her. And then she finally got in touch with me and she was like, oh, you've put that you're you're suicidal. And I was like, well, no, I'm not. I'm not suicidal. I just know that that is an escape option. And that's where I think the flight comes in because actually that is, that's an option to fix all of these problems and all of the things you're worried about because actually you can just kill yourself and then these problems will go away. And she was kind of like, oh, right, okay. So you've got no immediate plans to kill yourself. Great, that's actually a really common thing that people feel. And I was like, oh, oh, right, okay. Suddenly we're not so worried. It took me a long time to realise that what I was actually feeling was anxiety. I have no idea how long I have felt anxiety because I just thought that it was a normal and and it was through listening to other people talk about it and through learning about what anxiety was and what it actually felt like that I then realized I had an anxious little voice in my brain an anxious little bitch voice that I call Susan but I think you would also be so so surprised how many people have anxiety that's why when I said 5% of the population in the UK, Pamela was so, so quick to raise her hand and say, more, 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 give me more. Because there are so, so many people, a lot of the people I know have anxiety 
and unhealthy, anxious thoughts at any given moment. But as well, there's so many creative people, I find. I think that creativity is very, very closely linked with anxiety. People are surprised when I say I have anxiety because I seem like I'm so together and I don't seem like I'm a quivering wreck in the corner. But actually, Oprah Goddamn Winfrey has anxiety. She's been on record before as saying that she has it. I know Sue Perkins is another one. She has an excellent podcast that I've listened to before. Jamila Jamil is somebody else who has it, who, again, wonderful, wonderful podcast. I'm not sure I should be sat here advertising other podcasts, but they are probably people who are much more seasoned at this than we are. But there are so, so many people who have anxiety who you wouldn't realise because people expect you to just be a quivering wreck in the corner. And actually, no, you can absolutely function with anxiety because it manifests itself in so, so many different ways. And I feel like it's a sort of what came first, the chicken or the egg situation. Because when you're looking at people who, like Robin Williams, who make people laugh, Oprah Winfrey, who change people's lives, um, a lot of these people, I think, are born very sensitive and very intuitive and creative. And we see patterns in things and we see details, which makes us good at our craft but also drives us insane. Look at all the famous artists, you know, chopping their ears off and, and having, you know, full-blown, like, breakdowns and creating beautiful art from it. So I know, like, you've sort of rounded yours up with all factual stuff. I want to mention two pop culture references, which I think are really good. So the first one is Doctor Who, which I know you love as well. It's a Van Gogh episode, and it's... Or Van Gogh, Van Gogh. Um, and it's when they take him to the museum... And he's, you know, obviously struggled all his life and he's dealt with his demons and he's gone to this museum and the, the curator there is talking about his favourite artist, which is Van Gogh. And he's, you know, he's saying like this man took pain and he turned it into art. And I cry every time I watch that because I see that in so many of my friends who are struggling, who, who some of them are, are lucky to still be here because they were to the point where they were making attempts on their lives because they felt that that was, you know, their limit. And then the other pop culture reference is My Mad Fat Diary. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Yeah. Um, and it's the one where, so just to give a bit of context, um, it's about a girl who's had problems with self-harm and eating, you know, binge eating and things like that. And she's in a therapist's office. And he says, I want you to imagine yourself sitting over there now. And so he said, I want you to look that little girl in the eye and tell her that she's fat. Tell her that she's pathetic. Tell her that she ruins everything. And she's in tears and she says, I don't want to because I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be horrible to myself. And he said, so what would you tell that little girl now if you could tell her anything? And I'm like, I'm feeling emotional thinking about it now because, you know, she says, I'd tell her that she's perfect. Because when I look at Amelia, she is like all of the things that were brilliant about me before the world crushed me down and I became anxious and scared of everything. She is that fire that was in me at one point and I watch her and I just think I hope she never ever doubts herself I hope she never feels an ounce of how I've felt in my life because she's fantastic and I hope that everyone listening to this no matter what age you are now what stage your life is at what's happening you understand that you are enough and that there are people out there who care about you I absolutely absolutely second that whoever you are listening to this whether we know you or not you are absolutely God's damn brilliant in your own wonderful, quirky, special way because everybody's fucking brilliant. 
we're all unique little snowflakes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> see what I did there. And we're all wonderful. And actually, that is one of the biggest, biggest things that is so, so hard to do. Being not too hard on yourself, which is the absolute opposite of what your brain tells you that you need to do. Because your brain will be your own biggest critic because of all of these things that you have learned over the years, as Pamela said earlier, all of these things in your environment, in your upbringing, in the world around you has developed this voice that actually tells you you are worthless, but you're absolutely not. And one of the things that I've said to you before, and one of the things that I try to tell you off for is when you speak to yourself in a way that you wouldn't speak to other people, when you criticise yourself for things that you wouldn't criticise other people for, and that is one of the things that's been really, really powerful for me. And it's still it's still something I'm learning. I'm not sat here by any stretch of the imagination saying that I have my anxiety under control 100% of the time. But also I've realised, and I will always say this to people as well, that managing managing anxiety is a journey. There's It's all about experimenting and it's all about working out how it manifests for you. And it's all about working out how you cope with that. And it's about trying different things. If isolating yourself works sometimes, it's not going to work every other time. You need to be trying different things. You know, there's there's counselling, there's routines, there's medication. I take medication for mine because that helps. You have to distance yourself as well from, like you say, the shame around taking medication, the fear of, you know, going and speaking to a therapist and also the failures because... A couple of months ago, I was talking to someone and I was saying, do you know what, for the first time in my life, I can look myself in the eye in the mirror and say I love you and I can mean it. But then for the last couple of weeks, my anxiety has been taking over and I've been voice noting you countless times saying I'm not good enough, I'm not funny, I'm not clever, I'm not going to be successful, I'm a shit man. All these things that are absolutely untrue but make me feel like shit on a constant daily basis. and obviously. After I'd spoke to my therapist, I'd realised, well, look, it's been two weeks since my therapy. I haven't been to the gym. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been journaling. Journaling, for me, and it might not work for everyone, but some form of writing it down, because then you're holding yourself accountable. You're checking in on yourself. You've got to learn to nurture yourself. So from now on, I've made a thing that I'm going to try and treat myself like I would treat Amelia, because I don't want to parent the way that I'm parenting myself, the way I'm trying to deal with my own stuff. And it's okay to make mistakes. And I do have to be strict, not strict, but disciplined. I do have to be disciplined. But I also have to understand that I am enough. You're enough. We're all enough. So I hope if if you take one thing away today, it's that you are enough. Even this morning, you straight away were voice noting me, almost talking about how shit you were and comparing yourself because you were having a really shit, hey, hey, pun intended, morning. And I was really, really raring to go. And I'd kind of prepped a list of what we were talking about. I was prepping uh, the intro we did at the start with Piers Morgan. I'd already started to predict that the day was going to be terrible. You know, oh, we're probably not going to get this done. And, I, you know, I'm in this mood. And I'm really overly apologising for my mental state and bringing you down in the process. But also there was a moment this morning where I was like, I really want to talk to Gareth about how stressed I am. But am I going to stress him out? 
and I almost didn't say anything. And I think if I hadn't said anything and I got on the podcast, I wouldn't have dealt with how I was feeling. You wouldn't have known how I was feeling and we both would have ended up having a really bad time. So sometimes you do have to, if someone in your life has anxiety, you also have to give them a little bit of compassion because it is difficult to talk about these things. With anybody with anxiety, whether it is yourself or whether it is somebody else, it's important to show them compassion. And one of the little phrases I have written down, which is what I would probably like for all of our snowflakes. That's that's what we're calling our listeners now, I think, our, our snowflakes. It's congratulate yourself on where you're at. Don't criticise yourself for where you're not. I love that because I had a period of that a couple of weeks ago, didn't I, with you, where I was, you know, I was feeling really bad and you were like, Pamela, every step of the way, you've done the best in the circumstances that you've had, the knowledge that you've had, the skills that you've had. And my, my therapist sent me something the other day, actually, and it was uh, two ladders side by side and one's got really big gaps in it. And one's got really little gaps. And obviously, the one of the little gaps, you know, they're only a few steps up, but they're making progress. Whereas the ones looking at the big, massive gaps can't even reach the first, you know, the first rung of the ladder. And she said, like, I need you to understand that these little steps and these little things that you put in place are valuable. And it is difficult when you live in an environment where those things aren't appreciated. Our society doesn't appreciate, you know, you're going out and fixing your mental health. They want to know how productive you are. They want to know how successful you are, how attractive you are. I think it's also really important to know that if you slip down that ladder, that is okay. Forgive yourself for slipping down that ladder because you'll start to climb it again because you know that you can because you've done it once already. So I think we've more or less come to an end for today. This absolutely will not be the last time we talk about anxiety. My God, it will crop up in other episodes. But also, it might be useful for us to do another episode on it at some point and maybe have other people on to talk about the way it manifests for them or maybe even to answer any questions. Yeah, and I think we've all got we've got many anxious friends, haven't we? We all, we all flock together, don't we? we? We all kind of help each other out. But I like that we've got that community and hopefully this has helped some people. We were talking, weren't we, about, about setting up a Facebook page it would be nice um, if people had a place to sort of go and share their experiences. And if they want to, like you say, come on the podcast, that would be really good as well. So we will be doing that, I think. We'll yeah. set it up as snowflakes are ruining the world. And I want to shamelessly plug my page real quick. It's it's a temporary page because I am moving things along. But it's the art of feeling happy. And I'll put that on our page when we go. Because I want to start a podcast basically helping people with things like anxiety. Um, I'll have a lot on ADHD and neurodivergent, things like that. Just basically trying to life. Trying to life. How do we life? It's a mystery. So Pamela now forming sentences like, how do we life? Means that she is officially out of juice for today she has shit it all out I'm, I'm absolutely beat now that's it i'm done the chaos squirrel needs a nap <laughs> the, chaos, the chaos squirrel never sleeps gareth if this takes off in the way we want it to i really want merch with the chaos squirrel on it oh. i would like somebody to draw us a chaos squirrel please somebody who's artsy please make us a chaos squirrel but anyway I'm not going to let that tangent foster because I can see it on your face. I wasn't even, I'm that bad I'm not even in the room anymore, Gareth. So wrap it up, wrap it up. Wonderful. As before, you can get in touch with Pamela on her Facebook page. You can get in touch with us on our Facebook page when we make it. Hopefully by the time this is live, we'll have made it. And likewise, I'm on Instagram as at cosplay with me if you want to take a look at me in skin tight lycra i wouldn't recommend it again though that was that was me putting myself down 
Yeah, you I get... almost stepped in and I thought, I'll wait and I'll see if he notices it. Because we do it. I do it all We do time. it. We oh. do it. You can get in touch with me on Instagram at cosplaywithme, which is also my cosplay account, if you fancy having a look at Spider-Man. But we will wrap it up there. Thank you all very, very much for listening. And please do get in touch with any thoughts, feelings or observations. Share the love.